Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us on our 100th episode of the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. We have a phenomenal show. It's with gaming legend John Romero. And you might think, well, why do you have a gaming legend on the show? Well, John Romero is one of the founders of id Software and id Software changed the uh, the landscape of games and brought storytelling into it and John also just published uh, his autobiography and it is a fantastic book so we talk about not only his contributions to storytelling and gaming but what it's like to gather all those thoughts and put it into a book that other people can hold and you know dig all into it's a fantastic conversation john is an amazing guy i know you're gonna love it thank you for joining us for 100 episodes be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can listen to all 100 episodes also join us on our on our youtube page where you can join in live to the conversation lots and lots more to come subscribe stay tuned now on to our show with john romero And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I'm your host, as always, Hank Garner. Today, man, I am super excited for this show. I've, uh, you know, all weekend, all I could think about was this show coming up with uh, one of my heroes. John Romero is here on the show with me. He's got a brand new book that, uh, if you're listening to this live, today is release day. And uh, the book is Doom Guy. Life in First Person uh, by John Romero. And if you are not familiar with John Romero, he was one of the co-founders of id Software and, you know, one of the guys that that uh, created first person shooters and you know this whole genre of gaming that, uh, you know, what was it, 25, almost 30 years ago that kind of got all this stuff started and, you know, has changed storytelling. Uh, you know, f- uh, the way we think about it now has has changed because of the work that John and his compatriots, uh, you know, did, you know, a couple of decades ago. And, and here we are in 2023. And John has told his story, one of my favorite books of all time, probably in my top five books, uh, is Masters of Doom by David Kushner. And I discovered that book a number of years ago. And and John is one of the guys that is, you know, that the book is about. And I always love that book. And the audio book uh, narrated by Will Wheaton is amazing. And then when I heard that that you, John, were going to tell your side of the story from your vantage point and your words, I was super stoked. So here we are. The book is out today. Welcome to the show, John. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm really uh, honored to be here, and uh, and I'm excited to talk about the book. Absolutely, um, the the book is is your story. Um, what was it like? It, well, well, first off, um, that book um, that introduced a lot of people 
to you and, and the work that you did, um, Masters of Doom, um, did, did you? How did you feel about the book when it came out? Um, well, I was I was happy with the book. Um, you know, it was well written. It was exciting, and uh, David did a lot of research. You know, he spent about five years researching and writing the book. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, a, it's good. Yeah, there, there were obviously um, parts of the story that that you wanted to, um, you know, add your perspective to. Um, when did that become uh, something that you were thinking about? You know, uh, you know, David did a great job on this, but you know, maybe there were some things that that he just couldn't know because he didn't live inside your head. Um, you know, when did you start thinking about telling the story uh, in your way? Um, geez, there's so many stories that could be tell told, you know, <laughs> there've been a lot in magazines, um, definitely in masters of doom, YouTube videos. Um, there was, so the, uh, there was, a, there's, there's been a lot out there, but there, nobody has, uh, there hasn't been, um, a book about my whole story from when I was a kid, you know, uh, which was not covered in the book, uh, in masters of doom. And, uh, and, you know, what's kind of interesting, the way it came about was that I was giving a talk at a conference uh, in Canada and the conference organizers asked me to talk about my life instead of the games I made. They want to know who, how did I become the person who made those games instead of right. talking about the games? And I said, okay. So I wrote a, a, a talk called My Life in Games and... Uh, and the audience was kind of shocked when I talked about how I was brought up and where I lived and all that kind of stuff, because it wasn't out there anywhere. And, um, and so, uh, somebody had basically said, you know, that, that should really be in a book. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, there also is not a definitive id software, uh, game history book either, you know, and game history is super important to me. Yeah. Um, it's important to, um, you know, to, to a lot of people. And, uh, and so it was, it was interesting, you know, it was important for me to, uh, to, to get like the exact dates that games were made, what they were about, what they were called, because there has been some confusion over the years about things like, uh, hover tank one, it's not yeah. called hover tank 3d, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, and I thought, yeah, this could double as a game, like an id software game history book, and serve obviously as my, uh, you know, as my memoir slash autobiography. And, um, you know, Masters of Doom does a really great job of telling the story. And a lot of people really love that book. And I'm exciting uh, or I'm excited to actually add this book out there as well. It doesn't take away from, um, from Masters of Doom. I think it just adds a lot more information. Yeah. Um I am 51 years old, so I am that that uh, point in my life where nostalgia is uh, is a very strong thing, you know. And as a a kid who in in middle school and high school was really into computers, and um, you know uh, the the personal computer revolution was happening, and uh, you know these were were magical. Um, you know, devices that 
that, you know, you had to get in and figure out how they, how they worked and you had to write software and, and all of this stuff. And now I look at my kids and, you know, the computer is just an appliance, you know, it's just a, you know, everybody has one, everybody's phone is a computer, you know, and they're just so taken for granted. And um, th- there's something about hearing about the early days of, um, you know, how this technology was coming alive and how guys like you were looking at this technology and and thinking of new things that you could do with it. And and I think that that's one of the most important things about um, game history, computer history that that has to be told, because th- this was a this was a different time with a, a, a different way of thinking than it is now. Yeah, it's. um you know, a lot, I think a lot of times when people read about game history, it's like back in this year, this is what was out instead of a, a story that's written from that time. Like, right. and I used to go into the arcades and I would play pinball machine, you know, pinball games in these dark caverns and, you know, talk about what was so great about pinball and like, what is this? Here's a new <laughs> electromechanical game. And then here's a video game. And so I was there. I, I was super lucky to to grow up during the pinball to video game to home computer transition. Like when I started to learn how to code, almost no one had a computer in their house. You know, I didn't know anyone with a computer at home because it was brand new. It was a personal computer revolution just beginning. So, um, you know, but I was there where uh, at least were accounted for me, which is in the arcades, playing those games, absorbing the design lessons of those games and deciding that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. When you decided to um, to write the book, you mentioned in the book and, and this is worth mentioning that uh, that your memory um, is is exceptional and and I think there's there's an actual term for it and I can't remember the term um, but I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll fill us in but there you, you have this uncanny ability to remember very specific things um, when did you realize that um, probably in the early 2000s when things that happened long ago were not being recalled by people that, I, that I knew were around back then, yeah. like only, like a certain amount of years, 20 years or so, you know, maybe 30. And it was like, huh, that's funny. Cause I know <laughs> myself a couple people who have the same kind of memory that I have, but that's out of everyone I know. And, uh, and so, you know, it was, um, it was interesting, you know, and, and as I think, as I got older, the more apparent it was that like, it's weird that I can remember things instantly like they happened yesterday, you know? Um, so yeah, it's something that I've heard. I, it's something I've heard, um, for a while, uh, because people are like, how do you remember that? And it's like, <laughs> how do you not remember that? <laughs> right. To me, it was like, it's weird that you're forgetting things. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that had to be super helpful when you're, when you're recalling stories from, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, and, and you can place yourself back there again, that, that had to, when, when you're, I, I would imagine um, that when you start thinking about telling the story, did, did you did you kind of sketch out the parts of the story that you wanted to tell or how did 
I'm always kind of fascinated by by memoir or uh, you know autobiography because most of the time you what you're telling is kind of a window into your life, and then when you're when you're deciding that, how do you decide what the window is going to be? Um, you know, when you start kind of sketching out what this story was going to portray, how did you decide? You know, where do I pick up? What what are the highlights of the story? What will people find interesting? How did you kind of start doing inventory of your story to come up with those? Well, um, I think first it was like, well, this is not a biography and I want to cover everything from the very beginning. So it's like, OK, it's my whole life. It's not like just a little part of my life. So, yeah it was important to come up with an outline. What are the major sections of my life? Like where big things changed, right? Come up with a good outline where those are major changes and then um, start recalling all of the things that happened in that time. And what was the, the funny thing about hyperthymesia is that I think most everything is important. Right. <laughs> back then. It's like, uh, I can remember funny. it all. Therefore you need to, yeah, know. I can remember it all. So they must be important. And it's also like, I can say, here's a detail and it's important. It's an important detail because it connects these things together, you know, but like a lot of people just want the high points. They want to know yeah. these things. So it was a lot of work to just like take that, that ROM dump and just like edit it down to like the things that were really important. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, I know what fans have asked about, you know, and I, and, and I know what I'd like to know about other games too. So it was like, yeah, what do people really want to know? So distilling down all the key moments that led to other key moments, uh, was really important to making sure that the, that the book held together cohesively. And it was always, um, it was always like addressing things that people would want to hear and less things that they wouldn't. But if I've, thought that there was a detail that was important that would would give more insight into things that they that they know then that was important to put in there because i do i did want to put into the book a lot of information that no one has seen anywhere else well and and speaking of that you know with with masters of doom um it it really focuses on those early days of id software and uh, there, there's a little bit of backstory for carmack and a little bit of backstory for you but you really don't get the full picture where whereas um in doom guy you give us a very real glimpse into your upbringing and some very trying tumultuous times um you know when when you're talking about parents and step parents and you know interactions with them and the the you know the difficulties of of growing up in a in a you know, a new world where technologies are brand new and where older people don't understand them and, you know, all of this kind of thing. Um, when you're thinking about about that part of your life uh, and and telling stories, uh, you know, th th and this is the uh, one difficult thing I would think about telling autobiography is that it's not just your story that there's like a whole cast of characters that are real people. And, you know, you know, do you, are you ever, you know, kind of treading lightly so that you don't hurt someone's feelings? I mean, even the id software stuff, you know, you guys were best friends that, you know, some of those friendships kind of blew up and, you know, and then, you know, reconcile later, but there's some difficult things to talk about. How do you start kind of trudging in that? Um, well, at first, there's like a decision 
to either write about that stuff or not. And to right. me, it felt like it was important for me to put in the difficult upbringing and things that happened to me while I was being raised, because if my story is going to be helpful to anybody, having people relate to my situation is really important for them to feel like they can actually do something too. Right. So it's like, if somebody is like, that's happened to me before. And like that, that made me never want to do whatever. And it's like, but, but he did do that. And it's like, I can do that too. So it's really, I think helpful for people to see that, yes, you can do this. Anybody can do this. If you just maybe do it this way or, or just, just even see that it's totally doable and there wasn't any magic in how um, any of it happened. So it was just a lot of uh, time spent working, you know, on, on stuff. Um, But yeah, the, uh, the, the upbringing was important to talk about because it affected the kinds of games that I made, the, um, the things that I used to draw, the comics I drew, the stories I would write, you know, all of everything. um, It was all, part of that exposure to your environment, you know? Um, but there was, there's things that I left out, you know, out of respect to other people. It's not a tell all sure. book, um, but you know, if, if, anything, film, though. <laughs> if, if anything, you know, like one of the biggest uh, end points of the book is, and even while going through the book was, was I was hope, hope, hoping to get across the, the uh, the fact that I was really grateful to have an entire life in games, and yeah. that other people could do the same as as well if they if they dedicated themselves to it. Yeah, um, you mentioned the comics and uh, and and the writing stories because you talk about that in the book that this was a very big part of your life. When did you first realize that you had? The storytelling gene, um, we like to refer to sometimes as, you, you know, that, that you could tell stories and that you could, you know, take a piece of paper and, and you could create a new reality. Um, I think I started with just drawing, you know, because if I'm going to convey anything, at least at that time, artistic um talent was the natural thing for me because my grandfather on my mom's side was artistic. He was a painter and, and, uh, and he could draw as well. So I just naturally did that first. Um, and with, with writing, I'm not, I never claimed to be a really great writer. It was, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that really takes a lot of time to develop, but like the idea of, of coming up with story ideas yeah. um, was uh, I think it was just kind of came natural because I, you know, if you play games or you watch movies, you're exposed to lots of stories nonstop. And so because the thing I love doing was playing these games or watching these movies or even reading books, I've read so many books. Um, it just kind of came natural. It's like entertainment is stories. Entertainment yeah. is people going through a story and experiencing thing. And if I, and people just like to do that in like, they do it for a specific amount of time and then they do another one. And that's why there are so many books out there constantly because people like to read these stories and they move on to the next one. It's like, you can just keep on burning through this content. And so, you know, it's just like, I can make some stories, you know, people might not live in them for too long, but it might provide an interesting, weird space for them to be in. Um, so I just got used to creating these weird spaces and these stories with my games. I just kind of put them together. I, 
put them together in in comics. I also put them together in um, in games and like you know my culture coming from the my native background is a total culture of oral tradition of stories right. storytelling and passing knowledge through the generations that way so it just felt really you know natural my dad was yaki and our family would get together and, and barbecue in the backyard and tell stories and you know those stories were never um the stories, that, you know, as uh, as a native slash Mexican, you never feel like these stories were. Oh, that's a story from the eighteen hundreds. It's just, it's a story, and, right. and and the reason why it's told is because it's still relevant and it's important to tradition and heritage. So, um, so yeah, all the songs, all the stories, all that stuff is relevant, and uh, and that's why it's being told, and it doesn't feel like it's imprinted in time. It feels like it's timeless. And, yeah. uh, and so like when I create spaces or create stories, I feel like I'm creating some, I'm trying to create something that should be timeless. It should be something that, that you can always kind of go back to. In the early days of id software, um, you guys had a running D and D game, um, that, that you guys played and, and a lot of your, um, games that you published came out of or were inspired by this running D&D game that you guys had. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated by the collaborative storytelling that happens around tabletop games. Um, how did that influence your, uh, your game making and how you thought about including other people and in, in, I, I think your 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 yaki oral tradition uh probably plays into that at, at some point because it's all it's all weirdly connected in a way yeah yeah which is also something that really um is instrumental in my level design process as well um but the the um what was I, what was the last thing you said the last question <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I how all of these things are connected to you know that the collaborative storytelling nature yeah so D&D right the D&D yeah. games that we played um D&D is such a unique space to be in because when you are reading a book you're reading something that someone has written that you are experiencing as you read it and playing a game you're experiencing uh, a game as it was programmed and designed and it doesn't really do much outside of that. Right. Um, so D and D is a space that, that is real time and it can be anything and it can go anywhere. So really good DMS, you know, G or GMs, however, right. Seventies, uh, we call them DMS <laughs> dungeon masters. Um, they can, you know, they're ready for the party to do anything really different and crazy uh, if they're really imaginative. And those are the very best games is to play with someone who can take you anywhere. And that it, it was always like D&D &D was always the best game that you could play. Like you can't make a game on a computer that can replicate that because still the data that's on a computer is static and pre-created for specific stuff right right specific environment and story and D, D is just your mind and the dm just explains what the new situation is and where you decided to go and they take <laughs> you there and you know it's it's limitless yeah. and uh and that was always it's always like it's great to to in 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 at an early age 
encounter the limitless creativity of a game space like Dungeons and Dragons and hope that you can even reach that someday, you know? Um, and it is, it is great. It's great to have been exposed to that. And those, those, um, you know, decisions that people would make in the party, uh, those in the things that happened because of those decisions, those are all part of an experience that, that I would remember. And I would remember that in a game design sense where I'm like going to build a new game or a new space. And, and I'll remember it was so crazy when we decided that we were going to go do this. And I ended up in the dimensional pocket in someone's castle, um, <laughs> you know, and not be touched by anybody and do some crazy stuff while I was there. And like that weird scenario was just like, oh, I could put something like that in this level where the player goes through this teleporter and they end up in a space that they can't get out of unless they, you know. And so it's like you can kind of relate the, the, the coolness of that open-ended D&D thing to something you're working on right then. Um, so it, I just found it to be D&D to be, you know, the ultimate game. And uh, in, in, in because we played so intensely for so long in the D&D world together, we, you know, when we came up with an idea for a game like Quake or we come up with an idea for Doom, there's so much behind that that we experienced. Right. You know, there was so much, so many hours of us like, uh, um, you know, just absorbing the the situations that we were put in because we were around this character or because we were in this certain environment and. You know, it was and it was great because, you know, D&D will provide, you know, a great DM is going to provide you with lots of surprises, unexpected things, mystery, fear, all of that stuff. And uh, and that's all of that. Like knowing that you came through a great D&D session is like, I need to recreate this in the game. How do I make fear and curiosity and, you know, um, surprises happen <laughs> in a space I'm designing? And it's like you have a reference for it and you know how it happened. How can I recreate that in the in the constraints of what I've made already? And so it's like it's 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 great. It's always a it's always a um, game. You know, a lot of game design is is transposing something and changing it and putting it in something else. You know, yeah. as someone whose pulse is on the cutting edge of gaming, you know, still today, do you think that we'll get that sort of um, interaction uh, that you get? Uh, around a D&D table, do you think we'll eventually get to experience that in computer or console gaming? I think so. <laughs> I think we're going to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was interested to, to hear that you mentioned Quake uh, just a minute ago. In the book, you talked about the um, how much backstory was in this quake character and and what you envisioned this game to be and then the reality of what you guys delivered um was very different because of you know all kind of constraints and you have to read the book to get the full story um but i had no idea that that there was so much um you know that you wanted uh to be in this game that that ultimately didn't you know make it to the market um you know what? What is that like when when you you know the uh, having to to compromise and you know your vision as the creator is one thing, then then what you actually get to deliver is you know not always what you hoped. Well, in game development, 
the the rule is that the idea of the game that you think you're going to make <laughs> is not going to be the game that comes out because games really good games need that are built um, in an organic way are going to change as you develop them because you are going to be taking advantage of all the good stuff that happens while you're play testing and adding more code to the game and adding right. more features and see how they work together and then tweak the you know the game in response to those things so you have a you have an idea of, of, of what you want and as it's being made the game is revealing itself and then you're making decisions around around making sure it's focused in the right direction always and uh and so that that process is why the games are always changing as you're developing them you know with quake it was a drastic change um you know we knew all through 1995 exactly what the um what the story of the, of the game was but when we got to the point where we we're going to start making the gameplay part of the game because of the the original idea that we had it was it was going to be a, a re, an, like an R&D, another R&D segment of development. And we had just spent a whole year doing R&D on just the technology part. And the team just was just tired, you know, like they just wanted to finish the game. They didn't want to like figure out what new way can we make a game in a 3D engine. Right. So, um, so it was like, we're just going to finish the game. We're going to make it a shooter. It'll be the best shooter we can make with the technology that we just created and uh and with what we've already kind of made and uh and so yeah it was a tired team but you know we had uh amazing success with doom and doom 2 uh shooters you know they just want to get it done we're gonna make a great shooter so our team was really used to to going 100 miles an hour and they didn't want to spend another year on r&d they wanted to finish it so that's what we decided to do and obviously it turned out really great um, personally, I wanted to make that other game, and uh, and I just felt that um, at that point the um, the you know I, I just didn't feel like tech and design were balanced anymore. But yeah, Quake was exactly the game that it needed to be. Um, your your history with game making um, goes back to the '80s with some fairly simple games, and then even the when ID Software began, you guys did what six chapters of Commander Keen, I think it was, uh, and then you know the uh, the Wolfenstein, and then uh, you know Doom and Quake, and you know all of the cutting edge stuff. Um, to to look at, at the progression of game design then to now where we have these massive budget cinematic games, these AAA games that are rivaling and beating most, you know, Hollywood movies for budget and for, for money earned, um, especially uh, these days, you know, that's, uh, you know, games have become this huge immersive um, you know, form of entertainment. I have a friend who's a owns a small press publisher, and and he tells me all the time, man, games are where the the best storytelling are right now. That like this is this is the the cutting edge of storytelling right now is what's going on in these AAA games. Um, how do you see? You know, you have a very unique vantage point from you know being someone who's still in game design, but you have this this great um, you know, memory to look back over um, the the game progression as we've seen it, and and see the growth. Um, you know, th there was 
something really interesting about early games where you had three lives and you know if you once you died you were it you know that that was it you had to start all over from the beginning whereas now games are this immersive experience where you get to live through a character and how, how do you how do you feel about where games are now and where they've come from uh geez you know they're so amazing now i couldn't have even imagined what games are today back then yeah. you know there just wasn't a way to even think that um really dnd was as good as it could get back then yeah um so it's been amazing to see the development of games really um splinter into so many different places to see the emergence of narrative games and narrative games that that really embrace new technology like you know like uh, what remains of Edith Finch using the Unreal Engine and telling a story in an innovative way um you know I just I just love it it's like that's what that's what the game industry is about just experimentation and really still Hollywood is amazing there are there's incredible talent in Hollywood now more than ever there are more people writing new stuff for all of these streaming channels that never existed before. And, you know, people, people take ideas from all over the place. Game, game developers can take some ideas from some Hollywood uh, movies or scripts. And, and likewise, uh, Hollywood can take some ideas from things that games are doing well. Um, the, the industries are slowly converging because the technologies that we're using to make games are using to make movies, too. And, you know, and, and so like things get closer and closer and it really becomes the platform that you're on, you know, yeah. and other than a TV where you're just sitting there for entertainment, which is totally fine because, you know, when you look at the, the range of entertainment out there, there's very involved games that are like grand strategy games or really complex RPGs that will take all of your hours in a day and this highly complex thinking nonstop, like it's like, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> will consume you all the way down to, let's say match three games or games that are just more turn-based and, and lighter, more casual, right? The ultimate casual entertainment is going to be sitting there watching something, you know? Um, and you don't have to interact with it. You just need to watch it. And so I see movies, you know, on that scales, you know, somewhere. Uh, and so I don't think that, that games are taking away from it. I think that there's a lot of um, symbiotic, um, you know, creativity happening between those areas. And, and we're seeing them kind of very slowly merge right now. Yeah. As a game designer, um, you are used to working collaboratively collaboratively with a team um, and and to, to bring this product to market when writing this book, Doom Guy, um, there's a, a lot of time where writing a book is a solitary endeavor. Uh, it's just you and, and the story that you're getting out. But at some point, it becomes a collaborative effort. You know, you you bring in an editor and and they have a fresh set of eyes and, you know, make suggestions and you know then you you know work on another draft and you know you kind of go back and forth with an editor and then eventually a publisher and you know then that's a whole other set of people with opinions and, and you know and all of this um what was that collaborative process like on working on on this book um it was really great uh there there and there were a lot of people 
um, involved in this. You know, it was important that um, that the things I was putting down, I wasn't going to just rely 100% on my memory. I needed to make sure. I needed to verify yeah. with John Carmack, Adrian Carmack, Tom Hall, and other people to make sure that the key details that are in there, that they remember them the same way. And if there was any diversions that we talked about it to, to make sure that, that it was correct. I wanted this to be a totally correct history of vid software. Um, but yeah, when you talk about the collaboration, you know, you know, as uh, my wife is a writer, she's a really great writer and she worked with me to get the hyperthymesia ROM dumps in the right order and, and written mm -hmm. and edited. And, you know, with the publisher, there's a great big team there working on editing. Uh, Connor uh, Leonard was the our, our editor. Um, he was really great. I really liked him. Um, the the there's the media people who know exactly what you know how that they want to uh, to get the word out there. There's even like legal checks. You have to make sure that you're not writing something that. Uh, you know that 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 could get anybody in hot water um but yeah the early early readers really important people that they're responding to it and and saying i really like these stories or this part this aspect of it um there's a lot of people involved yeah it wasn't just like <laughs> it wasn't just me um yeah. it was a lot of people and, and and you know when you work with a really strong team you're going to get a really strong book um, and, and really the fans who are asking questions year after year after year um, are really important to make sure that I'm addressing all of their questions. I'm giving them answers like, uh, where's Black Room? I've been asked that for years, you know, and, and of course, only certain number of people are going to know that. And I want to make yeah. sure um, over the years I've never talked about Black Room and I put it in the book because here's a story that people you know, really wanted, but yeah. you know, I wouldn't have this story uh, without the people in my life and the incredible teams that I've worked with. And so, you know, this is it. This is the story. These are the people, um, and uh, this is what happened. All right. Um, six or seven years ago, I think it was Richard Garriott of Ultima Fame published a book that was part um, he, biography and part um, thoughts about current events kind of it was a really interesting book um but we got a glimpse into video game history through his eyes uh ken williams of sierra fame published a book in the last year or two where he told the early story of sierra online and now your book uh you know and then uh you know a couple of contributions from other folks we're starting to get a unified history of computer gaming and do you have you talked with other people that maybe have seen what you're doing with this book and maybe are inspired to tell their little corner of computing and video game history? Well, I haven't gone out specifically to say, Hey, you should tell your story. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's funny cause um, it's so much work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is a major decision to decide that you're going to tell your story because um, it takes a long time and it's a lot of effort. And, and so in to do it right, you know, you want to make sure you're doing it right because um, if you don't do it really well, then people won't want to cite your book as a source for the game histories that we're talking True. about. So, um, so it is a, a, a big endeavor to try and do that. But, you know, there are, plenty of people out there. I was like, Oh, I really wish Doug Carlson would, would write 
another book. And in fact, Doug Carlson wrote a really great book back in 1980, I think it was four called software people that was about the industry right then and how it started. And, you know, there are a bunch of other history books like that where people did write stuff, but, um, you know, the, the people who were the leaders of the industry back then, but not everybody knows that these books exist. Yeah. Um, the publisher sent me a early release uh, version of the audiobook, and I absolutely loved it. You narrated the audiobook. Um, what was that experience like? Not only to write your story, but then to perform it. And it, was that kind of a, a full circle uh, moment for you? It was really cool. You know, um, I thought, it was, you know, I thought that that people, you know, fans would want to hear the author narrate it. It's like, yeah. how would he, you know, he Always. wrote these words, how would he say them, you know, instead of someone else interpreting how they would be said. Right. So, so I thought that would be cool. It is yet again, another massive effort <laughs> to, <laughs> to go and record all of it because it's never perfect. And you redo lines over and over, you know, it could be one line that you screw up 10 times. And the book has got a lot of pages in it and a lot of words. So um, I worked with this amazing uh, sound uh, uh, producer, Dahi, um, and he was just so fun to work with. He's a gamer. You know, he had a really amazing studio and we would go out there and just just knock it out. And I have to come back and do edits and just, you know, <laughs> it was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was a big process to try and get it out there. But I thought, you know, I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm saying the words that I wrote, you know, that, yeah. that, that, uh, and it sounds the way I would, uh, that I would say them. Um, so yeah. And it's unique. I mean, it's just like, you know, not everybody gets to hear the author, uh, read their own book. Right. And, uh, you know, I might not write another one, so this is it. You know, <laughs> was well, absolutely phenomenal. And you can go grab your copy of Doom Guy Life in First Person uh, by John Romero. It's out everywhere today. Go visit your local bookstore, support local books. If you don't have a great local bookstore, we're going to put links in the show notes where you can grab it from Amazon or go to Audible and get the audiobook narrated by John himself. John Romero, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of the new book. Thank you very much. It's been great being on here. And thanks for all the really great questions.
That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.